that door on the side to close it and left open. And as I did so, I was going out the side and it was Calvary Chapel was setting up over there in the chapel. And the Lahu were singing down there, and I was just thinking, you know, I would love to have every seat filled in here worshiping the Lord. But I'm very glad that we are using our facility um, to worship the Lord, the other parts of our facility. Um, so keep praying that we will fill it up, but in the meantime, the Lord has these groups here that are worshiping uh, over there. So that's a, that's a wonderful thing. So, Well, we are going to be in Romans 13 this morning, and I say... Uh, I have to say, bless Ken. Uh, Ken knows how smart I like, I mean, how um, funny I am. And he knows that I like to read the comics. And unfortunately, um, I don't really get the local newspaper anymore because I read it all online. And it was just like, well, it's a waste of money for me because I get it all, even the local news online. So he will cut out all the comics and hand them on a weekly basis to my wife and I. And he'll say, oh, this is Brandon. You know, or, or this one's going to be Brandon in 15 years or whatever. But he handed this one to me because he knows I like politics, and I thought this was kind of funny. Um, uh, an older lady and her husband are sitting there watching TV, and, and the, the old man says, uh, I don't know. It seems these politician, uh, this politician is actually telling the truth. And they're both staring at the TV. And the last scene says, I wonder what's wrong with him. Interesting, huh? I wonder what's wrong with him, a politician telling the truth. Well, today we're going to be talking about politics a little bit. Romans 13, why don't we dive right into it? Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, do you not want to be free from the, from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's uh, servant for, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to subject or submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also for the matter of, as the matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay the taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So the study has kind of brought us to a a point where it's kind of necessary and hopefully it's a fruitful conversation when it comes to a relationship with our government. Paul makes it clear where leaders come from. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So no matter how much the news says that rednecks 
voted for Donald Trump, and that's what elected Donald Trump. God has placed Donald Trump there, just as he placed Barack Obama for the previous eight years and every other president before that. The Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, is in that place because God has placed him there, just as Nancy Pelosi used to be the one before him. I mean, go figure. (laughs) I mean, we could all go, no, no, this person would be much better in that place, or that person would be much better in that place, right? I mean, come on, we all think in it, right? Whether you're conservative or not, you're sitting there going, will you please quit tweeting? And some people are going, what's a tweet? But anyway, God has placed them there. We pray for them. We should honor them, for they were appointed by God. Around the world, we see evil dictators, and we think, well, maybe God only appointed the good ones. Paul says, no, all of them. And that's kind of an astounding thought. Sometimes God puts an evil person in charge to punish the people for doing evil things. That'll kind of blow your mind. See, this is what Daniel also told us in his book. Daniel's an interesting uh, uh, political leader in history. He went through three different administrations, but not only administrations, but administrations of different nationalities, different way of thinking. And he was a great diplomat. He spoke several different, uh, uh, you know, several different languages, and he had all these different relationships. He learned the art of politics without compromising who he was. And this is a challenge for us. And in fact, in Daniel 1, and I'm going to be, if you want to go to Daniel, you're welcome to. I'm going to kind of be skipping around some a little bit, but Daniel 1, 1, it says, In the, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered, <laughs> the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along, the, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. So God allowed the articles to be taken too. Imagine that. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put the treasures in the house of his God. This is a very sad day for Jerusalem and the Jews and for for Judea and for Judah, the people of Judah. The Lord is disciplining them for their actions. They have disobeyed for years and years, and the Lord provided different leaders to say, come back, what you're doing is wrong, what you're doing is, is, it goes against everything God believes, you need to come back toward God, and they refuse to do that. So God says, okay, I'm going to put this evil king in charge of these people, and they're going to come in, and they're going to take you. The Lord allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come in and take them. Verse 3, it says, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. So here this group valued education. You take the sharpest of the young ones. It would take them three years to get ready to serve the king says here in verse 5, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine for the king's table. They were, they were to be trained for three years, and afterward they, would, they were to enter the king's service. Among them were chosen, were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, 
the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. And now you know the rest, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We all know, the, the, you know those names, but, but uh, the other names, I mean, the real names were Hananiah, Michelle, and Nazareth. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission to not defile himself in this way. So we're kind of immediately impressed with, with this group, refusing the compromise during their three years of training to get ready for service. And they had no choice in being taken. God allowed them to be taken, but they had a choice in how they were going to act. You know, this is kind of interesting because we think of, uh, you know, in this kind of situation, we think of, of our seniors that we send off to college as, as, as they get older and stuff. But really, any age as you send them off to a place. I mean, when we sent Brandon to school, you're sitting there going, I, I just hope he gets along with all the kids, you know? I mean, we know he's smart enough to do the, the, the academic stuff, so we're not worried about that uh, for, for him. But, you know, the, uh, last year, the, the first uh, meeting we had with the teacher, we said, okay, we know academically he's doing well. And she goes, yeah, he is. And we said, well, how does he get along with others? How is he treating other people? Because one thing it's very difficult and really almost impossible to teach people is empathy. Either you have empathy or you don't have empathy. You know what empathy is, right? Feeling what other people feel, okay, and, and, and being in their shoes and stuff. I, and she's like, yeah, he does. He's concerned about other kids. We're like, good, that, that's a good thing. But our seniors, you know, going off to college in an older age, you hope that, you know, there's a lot of bad things out there. And you hope that, that you know, with the alcohol and the parties and, and them being away, that, that no one would know that, that they would keep a, you know, a head on their shoulders. And yet, the scriptural pattern is, this is when they should shine. This is when they should, should uh, uh, be for the Lord and, and stand up for what they've learned. And this is what Daniel and them do. In verse 19, it says, The, the king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And a matter, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, all the enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. See, our greatest testimony in this world, the greatest testimony that we have in this pagan world is to excel when we rise above everyone and, we, and they start looking at us and they say, what is your secret? And this is where we bring the Lord into the picture. This is where we bring the Lord in and say, you know what? Without the Lord, I would be a screwed up little idiot, you know, or, or whatever, however you want to say it. Without the Lord, my, my life would be completely different. The Holy Spirit is in me and directs me in this life. Now then in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this big dream, and you kind of know the story, and he wants to know what it means, and the magicians and astrologers say, uh, well, tell us a dream so we can interpret it, and they, you know, he tells them the dream, and they, they're kind of dumbfounded. They can't interpret it. I'm sure a few of them made up a few stories, and it just didn't work out, you know, and uh, so he says, <coughs> so Nebuchadnezzar, instead of saying, well, here's what the dream is about, he goes, no, no, no. You tell me, if you're so smart, you're supposed to be these guys, you're supposed to be all-knowing, you tell me what my dream was, and then you interpret it. Because he'd already had too many people lie. And if you can't, I'm going to start killing you guys. Great leader, right? You know? Man, so he starts to follow through on his threat. And they get to Daniel and those guys, 
And Daniel's like, why is, why is he upset with us? What have we done? We haven't done anything. And they explained it to him. And he goes, well, no one's asked me to interpret it. Let me go in there. So he prays, and the Lord gives him the dream and the interpretation. And Daniel says, praise be to, to the name of, the Lord, uh, name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changed times and season. He disposes kings and raises up others. This is exactly what Paul is saying. Daniel goes on to interpret it and all that kind of story. We've gone over Daniel, so many of you already know that. But this is what Paul is saying. Now, the king's amazed. But he's not smart enough to start serving the only true God. He, you know, so sure enough, the, even though the king is amazed and kind of leans toward Daniel and, and, the, and, and Daniel's God, he, he kind of quickly goes back to you know, the way he was, being a bad king. In chapter 4 of Daniel, uh, 4.24, the king has another dream. And, and this is the interpretation. It says, your majesty, this is, this is the decree of the Most High has issued against my Lord and King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. This is really great stuff to tell a king, right? You're going to be driven away. You're going to live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched in the dew of the heavens. Seven times will pass by you, and you, uh, by you for you pass by for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its root means that, you, that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by, by being kind to their oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. Now, the king tries this. And, of course, what does he do? He goes back to his old ways. He doesn't fully come around. So 12 months later, the king is walking around saying, I'm so awesome. I'm so great. Man, I'm the best leader ever. And the voice of the Lord comes, and Nebuchadnezzar literally goes insane, okay? And then in verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar testifies to the power of God. So he's out there in the field. He's doing all these things. I mean, literally, everybody's like, the king is crazy. He's outside eating grass right now, walking around like a cow, you know? But sure enough, finally he comes around and testifies to the power of God. And he's not bitter. He actually says, I deserved it. Verse 34 says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him with uh, him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the power of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand and say to him, What have you done? Verse 36, At the same time my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the kingdom, kingdom or the king of heaven because everything he has done is right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So Nebuchadnezzar learned the hard way who is in charge. Now hopefully our leaders don't have to learn the hard way but 
Unfortunately, some do. Government leaders are appointed by God. This is exactly what Jesus said to Pontius Pilate. This is exactly what Daniel was saying to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar admitted. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most powerful men in the world at that time, and he recognized who God was. You remember Pilate, he was talking with Jesus, and uh, he was trying to get Jesus to talk, and he says, I have the power and the authority to do anything to you. Jesus finally opens his mouth and says, you would have no power except God gave it to you. So now in Romans 13, Paul writes an agreement with Daniel and with Jesus. For there is no one or no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now it's amazing to me that not a single government was friendly at all toward Christians when this was written in 58 AD. Paul writes when the Christian world was at the, the cusp of prosecution, at the, you know, I mean, the, the Christian Jews, I mean, the, the, uh, the Christian Jews, yeah, they, in Jerusalem, they were being persecuted by the Jews, and the rest of the Roman Empire was starting to ramp up to persecute uh, the Jews and the Christians, and mainly the Christians because they were com- becoming the force of the time. And Paul writes in the book of Romans in the fourth year of Caesar's, uh, Caesar Nero's reign, I mean, Nero, this guy was just nuts. He came to power at the age of 17, and, you know, the ruler of of Romans is 21 when Paul writes the book. Nero was extremely cruel. I mean, extremely self-centered. He was just nuts. I mean, he was on the the par. I mean, he's just anything you could think of. He was out there. Ten years into his rule, he kind of sees his whole portion of, of Rome, and he would like to remodel. So this mysterious fire kind of starts. It burned for seven days, and we understand. I mean, pray for those that are up in the, the Napa and Sonoma area. I mean, Charles Schultz's home uh, just burned down this last week and everything. So, you know, I mean, you can understand the, the fear of, of fire going on. And everybody's going, well, how did the fire start? Well, the same thing in Rome. How did the fire start? And the whole area that he wanted to remodel in Rome was, was f- flattened, basically. Nero is not too unhappy about this. They start to blame Nero. They start, you know, rumors start to fly. Oh, Nero started the fire. So Nero looked and and said, well, who can I blame for this? And he started blaming the Christians. In fact, uh, Tacitus, a Roman historian, tells us in order to deflect it, he blamed the Christians. The next thing you know, the Christians are being put in the arena to be killed. It was Nero who executed Paul. It was Nero who executed Peter. Now, even though all this happens... Paul teaches us that Nero, his authority came from whom? God. That's enough to kind of make you shake your head, isn't it? Kind of wonder a little bit. For the most part, we should obey our government. And we'll talk a little bit about that, what I mean by that. But the, the Apostle Peter agrees with this in, in 1 Peter 2.13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who were sent to him by him to punish those who do wrong and are committed to commend those who do right. Nations are under God, no matter how they appear to be. Romans 13, 2, it says, Consequently, 
whoever rebels against authority is, authority is rebelling against the God, uh, what God has instituted. And those who do so bring judgment on themselves. See, God has given government the right and the authority to enforce the law. Verse 3, it says, For rulers had no terror, uh, hold no terror for those who do what is right, but for those who do wrong. Do not, uh, do not want to be, or do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. Follow the commands of those in authority. It's simple. Right now, there's a huge issue in our nation with, with police officers. I tend to say most police officers are on the good side. Most. Yes. Are there bad apples out there in police departments? Absolutely. Just like there's bad apples in the Democratic Party and there's bad apples in the Republican Party and there's bad apples wherever you work. I mean, there's bad apples out there, right? Because our world is evil, correct? But for the most part, they're good. So the question is, you know, and I'm a... I'm a middle-class white guy saying this, okay? I understand that, okay? Take a little, you know, I understand. But, but if I'm not white, the question becomes, is my son or daughter going to be killed by a police officer? There's one surefire way for that not to happen. Teach them to be respectful and follow each command an officer gives you. Plain and simple. Let the courts figure it out if there's an issue that you want to bring up. I'm sorry, that's the law. That's how, you know, even, even I know it's smart. You know what? If you ever get pulled over, don't be reaching for your wallet. Don't be reaching for your insurance card. Keep your hands up on that stupid steering wheel until the officer gets up there. And then say, oh, well, okay, my, my insurance card is in my glove compartment. So he knows what's going on. Okay? That's a surefire way. Obey the laws. It's that simple. You want no fear? Do what is right. Do your best to obey the law. Verse 4, it says, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. So who in authority is God's servant? Whoever God has appointed has the power. I don't care if you're police. I don't care if you're president. God has granted them power. They're They're there to serve the people. And somebody goes, well, I don't like politics. Well, it doesn't really matter. They will answer to God for their actions. They're public servants that need to serve the people. Yes, they forget that sometimes. Yes, we need to remind them of that. But we still give respect to the authority that God has placed there. Verse 4, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. Now, this term, bear the sword, it means they had the right to execute. In Paul's days, governors were given the ceremonial sword from the Roman government, okay? And when they were given that sword, they said, basically, you have the right to do the, under the rule of law to execute people. Now, if they execute people wrongly, they will answer to God for that. But they had the right to do that. And we see this in the, power, uh, in the trials of Christ. The Jews didn't have this right. They never got the ceremonial sword. So what happened? <laughs> they sought out Pilate. They sent Jesus to Pilate for that reason. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They're God's servant, a, a, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. 
The word punishment is the same for, for wrath, the same word for wrath. This is a balance of, of what we really kind of learned last week in Romans 12. We as individuals don't have the power, well, we have the power, but we shouldn't use the power to bring wrath on other people, to have revenge, right? We talked about that. As individuals, we are not out for revenge. But God does give the government the right and the responsibility to bring justice. Government is one of God's agents to to bring that justice. We are not to be vigilant. We are not to take law into our own hands. We have every right to get the government to help us. We can sue to say, hey, they broke the law. This is what happened. Judge, help me out. When terrorists flew into to, you know, our buildings on 9-11, our government had the responsibility to respond. Now, we can all go, well, I don't like the way they responded, or I, I disagree with who they responded to. Okay, we have all that right, but the government has the right to respond. Individuals that are Christians are governed by love. Governments are governed by law. By justice. Governments aren't required to turn the other cheek. Now, on the world scale, when Adolf Hitler or Mussolini or anybody else like that wants to do the world harm, they want to go out there and kill a race of people or threaten the stability of the world, governments are compelled to step in and bring justice, just as we saw our nation did, World War II, and many other nations go up against that evil. Government knows well if they, if they know when to step in and when not to step in. Now, do governments bat a thousand? No. They're going to strike out. They're going to do it wrong every now and then. That's the way it is. We all have 20-20 hindsight, right, on different wars and stuff. Leaders do make mistakes, but we're compelled to act when necessary. We're supposed to go help the, the you know, we're, we're supposed to go help the, like when the Hutus are killing the, the Tutus over in Africa, okay? Or however you want to, however you want to pronounce those. 800,000 people were killed. We were supposed to do something. We need to pray to our leaders that they make the right decisions. But as our nation, we looked at that, as the government institution said, well, it really has no bearing on America. Now, do we have a moral authority to do that? Most Christians would say, yeah, we need to step in and help out in that situation. 800,000 people were killed. But as a government, they said, no, it has nothing to do with our, our United States. So there's a difference there. We need to pray for them that they make the right decisions. We have big stuff going on. North Korea... Iran? I mean, wow, we need to be praying for our leaders, right? Yeah, all of them, especially Donald Trump, okay? I'm not for Trump. I'm not against Trump. We need to be praying for that man. We need sharp people making decisions. Here at home, when people still, we, you know, it's the job of our local governments and our local authorities to handle things because the God our God is a God of order. Paul goes on to say in verse 5, Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Now, two reasons we submit. One, we will get caught eventually. And two, it's a matter of conscience. I'm trying to teach my son this. Man, you know, I, I just, I want him to obey. I'm the authority. My wife is the authority in our house. 
over him. When we say something, there's a result if he doesn't follow through on that. But we want him to obey because, one, it's right. If you don't obey, you're going to get caught not obeying. But really, it's a matter of conscience. We ask you to do something, you should do it. How many parents have said that over and over and over, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, all the parents are going, "Mm mm-hmm. All the teachers are going, "Uh uh-huh. You know, I mean, wow. But we Christians are supposed to obey the law because it's the right thing to do. I don't care if you think the speed limit at 45 is stupid. Okay? And I'm talking to myself. We obey the law. You know, I heard a story of a man who cheated on his taxes. He sent a letter to the IRS and he said, A few years ago I cheated on my taxes. My conscience won't let me sleep, so here's $100. If I still can't sleep later on, I'll send you the rest. (laughs) Hmm, Yeah. Therefore, verse 5, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also a matter of conscience. This is why we pay taxes. Ugh. Oh, we love paying taxes, don't we? Did you get your tax bill? I got an email the other day. It's due soon, right? Ugh. This is also why we pay taxes. For the, authority of, uh, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. This time Paul uses the word servant again, but it's a different word that he uses in the Greek. It is the same word as priest. Public servants are compared by Paul to priests. Interesting. Common services that we need to do in society, like priests do, pastors do for the church. But for society, it's roads and schools and hospitals and water, you know, et cetera, et cetera. To do this, God has given them the authority to collect taxes. Amen? I didn't hear no big amen on that one. Now, you don't have to like the amount of taxes they collect. You can grumble like everyone else. Doesn't do you any good. You can point out the waste. You can get in there. You can get elected and help out with the waste. But taxes themselves, God has given the authority for them and the right to collect them. Verse 7, it says... Give to everyone you, what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. You know, a lot of us will grumble when we pay taxes. A lot of us will pay our bills or pay the people that we owe money to, and we we'll, might grumble about it, but we do that. But a lot of us won't give respect. A lot of us won't give honor when we should be because it's the right thing. To do. You might say, well, this is easy for Paul to say. I mean, we're, we're the most heavily taxed people. Well, at this point in history, the Romans were taxed at a higher rate than the United States. There were taxes on everything. We think taxes on everything. Man, they had taxes. People were complaining about government waste and corruption. Tacitus wrote, uh, or writes um, about the growing resistance and the tax revolt led by the Jews in A.D. 58 in Rome. So Paul is writing to the Romans in A.D. 58. He's writing to the Christians there. He's saying to the Roman Christians, don't get involved in this tax thing. 
The Romans, you know, kind of thought the, the Christians were corrupted Jews, pretty much. And, and, and he was saying, you, you guys, you need to stay out of this. It might actually help you guys if you stay out of this. Don't get on the Jews. Don't get on the side of the Jews on, on not wanting to pay these things. You, you know, you might also remember, why was Jesus crucified? Yes, for our sins. I mean, like, from a godly standpoint, okay? I, I'm not saying anything uh, you know, different than that. But from the Roman point of view, he was crucified because he didn't recognize the authority as Caesar, as king of the Jews. Why is that? Because Jesus said he was king of the Jews. That's, from a Roman standpoint, that's why he was crucified. Matthew 22, you know, the news hasn't changed much. Uh, you know, what happens in a news interview if you're a politician? All they want to do is try to trick you and, or trip you up, depending on what their view is and the interviewee and the interviewer and stuff. But, but uh, this is the same thing uh, in Matthew twenty two fifteen. This is the same thing that was going on. The Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him, talking about Jesus, in his words. They sent their disciples to go along with the Herodians. And, and the first clue that they weren't being genuine is the fact that you basically have, at this time, two camps that are coming together to ask questions. This would be like getting all of Donald Trump's supporters and all of Hillary Clinton's supporters together, and they're all agreeing, we need to ask this person some questions. Now, do these two sides ever agree on anything? It's the same thing going on here. Two different thoughts were coming together trying to trap Jesus. They said, teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with truth. You aren't swayed by others. Because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then. You notice they gave the big compliments, you know. Uh, tell us then. What is your opinion? Is it right to pay imperial tax to Caesar or not? So they're looking to, you know, for the Messiah to start talking about this issue. And, and you know, it can't be the Messiah. If, I mean, they're, they're trying to trap him here. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a coin used to pay the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image do you see on this? Well, whose inscription? Caesar's, they answered. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, probably amazed that they couldn't trap him, and they left and went away. Jesus gives a great answer. And he also establishes the rule of government. While at the same time, he limits the government. According to Jesus, human governments play an integral and an important part in society. However, God has stamped what on us? His image. Don't I look great? I'm God's image. So we give the outward stuff to Caesar. The inward stuff to whom? Jesus, God. The inner man, the inner woman belongs to God. It has his image on it. This expressly shows us the, the role to, to both government and to God and establishes that we, uh, we should, should be disobedient to government sometimes if it goes against the things of God. 
But at the same time, we need to be ready to suffer the consequences of that action. You see my point? Can you disobey government? Yes, if it goes against the things of God. But you need to be ready to suffer the consequences. God doesn't necessarily say, oh, well, you did it for me, so therefore I'm going to come in and save you right then and there. It doesn't work that way. God has bigger plans there. You know, but when the government tries to, to power what is not theirs, they have no business doing that. In other words, the government has no right to demand worship. The government has no right to force something uh, for us to do something contrary to God's will or something that is, uh, that is God's will. The government doesn't have that right to force one way or the other. If the state commands what Christ forbids, or if the, the state forbids what the Christ commands, we're commanded to disobey that and willingly suffer the consequences. We see this all throughout scriptures. We see this, you know, Exodus, the Hebrew midwives. They were told to do what? Kill all the Jewish male babies. They lied to Pharaoh. They lied. Oh, yeah, we did that. And here's Moses floating down the river. They weren't punished for it. We never see anywhere. Nothing shows us that God says what you did was wrong. Daniel 3, three Hebrew children. Don't bow down before the aisle, uh, the idols. What happens? It's thrown into the fiery furnace. Daniel 6, Daniel disobeys Darius, order not to pray. Don't pray. Don't pray to anybody's God. You're not supposed to do that. Daniel did what he did every day. He went home, he opened his window, and he prayed. And an old man, we always think of 18-year-old, you know, oh, you know, thrown into the lion's den. No, an old man was thrown into the lion's den. God saved him. Acts 4, the disciples were called to the Sanhedrin. You need to stop preaching. And they go back out and they do what? They preached. They declared Jesus Christ openly and confidently. Diedrich Bonhoeffer a German theologian. He preached his first sermon criticizing Adolf Hitler in 1933. He could see where, the, where, where that was headed. And he could tell where the German church was actually headed also. So he preached against it. And the rest of the church was silent. He paid for it with his life when he was hung in 1945. For the involvement in the attempted assassination of Hitler. Now, before that happened, another German pastor, Martin uh, Niemöller, a contemporary of Bonhoeffer's, went to him while he was, you know, in prison, when he was arrested for opposing Nazi racism, okay? And he's, you know, the chaplain, he was the chaplain, came to visit him, he said, my brother, my brother, why are you in prison? In other words, just, just denounce what you're doing, just say you support Hitler, you'll be out, you'll save, then, then you can work against him later. Come on, what are you doing? And his response was to him, my brother, why are you not in prison? We have to be ready to pay the price if we go against government. And we should do that if it goes against God's will. I think of millions of house churches in China right now 
that are meeting illegally to worship. They're disobeying their government that says there is no God. Don't worship anything. There is no God. And we're expected to do the same. As Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participating in the suffering of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. We answer to a higher authority. The church outlives the state. The Roman Empire, they're gone. The church, still here. This is why we name you know, our children after biblical things most of the time, right? This is why we name our dogs Nero and Caesar and other things like that, right? Yeah, think about that. Though my son goes to school with a kid, I'm not joking, his name is King. Think about that. You named your kid King. I mean, he's, gonna, he's either going to be really confident or he's going to get beat up all his life. I'm not sure which one, you know? We as Christians are called to be effective in no matter what country we're in, to stand up for the God. The gospel is true all over the world. In every country, in each country, we have to take into account what is going on in that country as we go there and preach the gospel. And you better be willing to follow the law, but if it goes against God, you better be willing to preach and to follow the consequences. We see the, you know, over time the church is most effective working with the state, not against the state. And especially not the state. But a part of it. You know, it's shown, studies have shown that 2% of a population can affect wholesale change to a nation. Think about what's happened to marriage. Think about all the other issues going on. I mean, we'll be honest. I mean, you would look at the homosexual population in, in the community and you would think that that's 25 to 30% of our nation, right? The way it's portrayed on TV, every show, every, you know, all those things, right? In actuality, it's about 3%. But not when you turn on the TV. They're passionate. They're organized. They're focused on their goal. And they've changed our nation, right? Yeah. You know, we're supposed to be salt for the nation we live in. We need to become real followers of Jesus Christ who are passionate, who are organized, who are focused so we can change things back toward God. Now, ultimately, are we going to change the whole world back toward God? No, we, we know the Word of God. We've studied it. We know that it's going toward destruction. But there are periods of time where things, where Christians stand up and we have effected change back toward God. We can do that in our town. We need to get busy. We need to get involved. We need to say, get used to it. I'm here. I'm a Christian. We are to be the salt and the light. As mothers and fathers, it's our job. It's really important. It's extremely hard at times to raise our young ones, to protect them, but at the same time we need to allow them to to grow up and become the salt 
and the light of this world. Whether it's an engineer, go great. Fast food worker, great. Doesn't really matter. Working at the dairy plant, great. The greatest baseball player or football player to ever live, good. But none of it matters unless we are the salt and the light to this world. We need to represent Jesus in all areas of our walk and represent well. Parents, we need to do our job and we need to raise our children this way. And the church, as a body, we need to be here to help, not to do it for someone, but to help them do it. Just like as grandparents, right? You're supposed to be helping your kids raise their kids. You're not supposed to be doing it for them, are you? No. But you're supposed to help. The same way the church, we're supposed to help. Men of the church, we need to be role models to the kids who don't necessarily have a father or their father is not the role model they should be. That is our job. Ladies of the church, we need to be godly role models, just like the men. I didn't use the word godly for men. Men, we need to be godly role models. Ladies, we need to be godly role models to our young ones to teach them what it means to be a godly woman so our young men will grow up and respect them and be able to say, I know what a godly woman is. That's the type of woman I want to marry. I mean, we're seeing what's going on in our, you know, in our, in our Hollywood town right now. How tragic is that we need to teach our people men we need to we need to teach the girls in the church how they should be treated so they know what it means to be and and know what it feels like to be treated in a godly way by godly man one who would treat them with respect so one day when they meet the man of their dreams they will know the man of their dreams because they know what a godly man is and they know they how they should be treated on a date they know what they need to eventually marry. And we've got to teach the little boys how to treat those girls so, they, so when they get to that age, they treat them with respect. As a church, if we raise our children this way, they will become the salt and the light that we want out in our town, right? Yesterday I was getting a, a tire fix that had a couple of nails in it, and, and I was down at the local place, and, and they were fixing the tire, and I looked over, and there was this man, they got a, a computer room over here for people who, you know, want to get on the computer or whatever. And, and then they have a waiting room down there, and the, and the you know, the checkout or the whatever the places, the counters are right there in the middle. And I noticed this man just kept staring over. And I finally looked over, and there was this young girl, pretty young girl, but he's like staring at her with lust. And then he comes over, and they, they hollered at him, and, hey, your, your car's ready. He comes over, and he's checking out the counter, and he's just like this the whole time. And a couple times, the, the guy said something to him, and, and he goes, what? And you could tell what he was thinking. Man, we don't need men like that. At the same time, we, I, we need our children to grow up, to go, that is wrong, and point it out. They need to be salt and light in all facets of life. And if they get involved in government, they need to be the salt and light in that government. It's our kids' job to salt the schools, to represent godly values in a school. Because the school's job is not to teach them godly values, right? 
No. Reading, writing, arithmetic, and other things like that, and though they've kind of gone off into some moral things that I don't think they should be in. But our kids, if we raise them right, they can be that salt. They can be that light. Just as godly teachers are the salt and light for their kids. Just as godly mechanics are. Just as godly whatever job that you have. You can be the salt and light wherever you are. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to obey the government. And if it goes against God, to disobey the government, but we might suffer the consequences like Diedrich Bonhoeffer and actually die. But if it's not a moral thing against God, then we follow the government. Jesus said that. Daniel, we see the example of Daniel. We see Paul say that. But I tell you, we need to represent God everywhere, including Facebook. I don't know how many times. I, I, you know, you guys are probably rolling your eyes. Keeps talking about it. But I tell you, I, I keep seeing friends that say they're Christians post things that say they're not a Christian. And I'm just like, ugh just kills me now are we going to be mistake free absolutely not but we are called to be the salt and the light of this world we got to start that starting now well let's stand and pray as our worship team comes up and finishes up for the evening lord so often we rail against the government that you put in charge Many times we don't understand why this person or why that person, but in the grand scheme of things, you're the one that's in control. You know the leaders that we either need or the leaders that we deserve. And we pray that we understand the laws that we should obey. And when we don't obey, Lord, that it be because it's a godly thing. That you are the one that guides us in those decisions that we may even suffer the consequences of those decisions, Lord. Lord, I pray that we become the salt and the light in, in the small part of the world that we're a part of, in our jobs, in our school, everybody we meet up to, Lord, that they see something different in us. When they see us do something right just because it's right, they recognize that we're different and maybe one day they'll say why are you doing it that way and we can say because I'm a Christian because the Holy Spirit guides me in this life now the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord's face shine down upon you and may he bless you in your decisions in the name of the Father Son and Holy Spirit Amen